Well, today we will again be taking a look at Revelation chapter 4. So please go ahead and open your Bibles there or your phone apps. And as we talked about last week, the focus of Revelation, the book here, has now shifted from earth to heaven. Jesus had finished addressing the seven churches very specifically. And uh, I do say specifically because this whole book is written to the churches, but at this point in our study, Jesus is not speaking directly to the churches as we saw him doing in chapters 2 and 3 about what they need to do and how they need to live and all that. In chapter 4 here, Jesus now has directed our attention uh, to a heavenly scene. It's what we're looking at. And um, the church is now off the earth at this point in Revelation as we studied last week. And again, we know that all of this that we're reading is taking place in the Spirit for the Apostle John. And he is seeing a vision of all that the Lord is showing him. And when John received all of this, he was physically on an island called Patmos at that time, where he had been exiled as a prisoner for his faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus then came to John in this vision while John was on the island of, Isle of Patmos. And we are now studying all the things that Jesus allowed for John to see. Okay? And isn't it awesome that all of this is written down for us to study today, as we have seen several times so far in just the few chapters we've been through. It was the Lord's desire that he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So yes, we know that John received this vision while on the Isle of Patmos from the Lord, but also it was the Lord's intention that John write this down, and it was also the Lord's intention that we read it today, that we understand what the Lord has to say to the churches, right? And again, as we will come to our verses for today, John has now been taken into heaven in this vision, and the first thing that John saw was God, or the one who sits on the throne, right? Now, even though we covered these verses last week, let's jump back and start reading in verse 1 here. The Apostle John says, And after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now again, I know we studied verses 1 through 3 last week, but I want to uh, just quickly comment on something here that I may or may not have stressed in the study last week. And that is, is that, again, Jesus in chapters 2 and 3 had ad addressed the churches very directly. And today we, we, of course, know that the church, the ecclesia, as we studied last week, that's that Greek word for the word church, ecclesia, the body of Christ, right? We're still on the earth today, obviously, okay? We're not home yet. Heaven is our home, and we're temporarily here on this earth. So Jesus showed the Apostle John 
that which he needed to write to the seven churches. And the things that Jesus spoke to each one of those seven churches applies to us today as modern day followers of Jesus Christ on the earth. And there in verse 1, Jesus now tells John that he is going to show him things which must take place after this. Okay, But here's my point in bringing all of this up again to you this morning. What we are studying now here in Revelation 4 is not the way that things currently are in heaven, but rather the way that things will be at that point in time after the church of Jesus Christ, the ecclesia, all born-again believers are gone from the earth. We have been raptured from the earth and into heaven. And, of course, again, how is it that we, what we got off the earth? It was through the rapture, and we studied that last week as well. And if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to that. But what we're seeing now here in Revelation, again, is not the way that heaven is right now, but the way that it will be. The way that things are going to be. That's why Jesus said, let me show you things that take place after this. After what? After the church is gone. Jesus tells John here, that's what he's showing him. And then in verse 2, John says, immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius uh, stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So that's where we left off last week. And again, you can go back and listen to that study. But verse 4, our verses for today, around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, let's break down verse 4 here. First of all, there's been so much that has been written about that number 24 there in verse 4. Okay? Bible theologians and commentators have expounded on this number 24 to the utmost. Some say that these 24 are angelic beings. But angels never are mentioned in Scripture as wearing crowns, nor are angels ever referred to as elders in Scriptures. Others say that these 24 elders represent the 24 patriarchs of the book of Genesis. And if you were to go back into Genesis and you were to count from Adam all the way up to Jacob, you come up with the number 24. One other possibility is that this number 24 represents a set number. And then there is just a continuous rotation of 24 elders over and over again, kind of like shift work, if you will. And you know what? That idea is not really all that far-fetched. It's actually based in the Old Testament book of First Chronicles, where David was helping to make preparations uh, for his son to build the house of God. If you remember the story, David wasn't going to build the house of God. David or uh, God told David that he wasn't going to be the one to do it, but rather Solomon was going to be the one to build the house of God, the temple on earth, if you will, right? The Lord um, said, told David that he wasn't going to do it because he was a man of war and, and a man who shed blood, and, and it was going to be Solomon that would build this temple. But David was at the end of his life, and he wanted to help make preparations 
for Solomon to help with the plans for building the house of God. And one of the things that David did was to set up this rotation of 24 priests that would do service in the house of God. Again, you can read about that in 1 Chronicles chapter 24. But David set up 24 priests that would do this rotation of doing service in the house of God. So it could be that these 24 elders represent the church, okay? which is another viewpoint of theologians and regular old Bible students like me. Now, I encourage you that if you want to study that number 24 as in-depth as you want, as a Bible student yourself, I've looked at it from many different angles, but I personally don't make much ado, if you will, about the number 24. And that's primarily because in my life, God has kept me in a place thus far where I'm just a very plain and simple Bible teacher. I like to go in and get the practical stuff out of it and teach how we should be living and, and you know, and all that. But I try to keep things as applicable as possible while also doing all that I can to seek out everything that the Lord desires for me to know from the Word of God. So whichever road you want to take in regards to that number 24 there, that's entirely up to you because like I said, there's many different viewpoints on that number 24. I tend to lean in the direction of these elders, these 24 elders representing the church, those that will be taken into rapture someday. And I'll explain to you why I lean that way. Um, so... What is it that is explained to us here in verse 24 about these, first, about these, uh, these elders? Well, first of all, these elders mentioned here have thrones. Okay? We see that, right? They have thrones. And who is it today, or for all time for that matter, who is it that sits on thrones? Right? Rulers sit on thrones, don't they? Those that have rule over others, they sit on thrones. Now, who, who did Jesus say would rule and reign with him in heaven someday? Well, uh, I want to take a look at a few different words with you here. I'm going to look at the words reign, rule, and judge. And we're going to look at some scriptures in regards to this. And remember, I'm asking the question, who did Jesus say would rule and reign with him in heaven someday. Again, we're seeing these elders sitting on thrones. Okay, That's the first thing we're noticing about them. And I'm pointing out the fact that who sits on thrones but rulers. People that rule over others. Okay, So let's first take a look though at the word reign because Jesus said we will reign with him someday. And I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Mark this page. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Second Timothy chapter 2. Two verses 11 and 12. Okay, So what is that telling us? It's telling us that if we keep walking with Christ in this life, 
if we endure, if we go all the way to our deaths as followers of Jesus Christ, we will reign with the Lord Jesus Christ one day. On the other hand, if we do not endure and we live a life that denies Christ, then He will deny us and we will not reign with Him. But we see that word reign there, right? That word reign is a word that simply means that a person holds a royal office. That's what the word to reign means. You hold a royal office. Now, flip back to Revelation, but I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And let's look down at verse 26. It says, And he who overcomes, so pause right there because there again we see that we must endure. We must overcome. We must stay the course all the way till the end. We must overcome this world. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my Father. Okay, so there in verse 27, we see that word rule. So the one that overcomes will, first of all, reign with Christ, as we saw in 2 Timothy, and they will also rule with Christ. But one could say at this point, well, if everyone is in heaven, who will, they, who will these elders have to rule over? Who will the overcomers be ruling over at that point in time? Well, everyone's not in heaven at this point. The rapture has taken place, like we studied last week. And what has happened is the dead in Christ have risen. The bodies of the dead in Christ have risen, been reunited with their spirits, right? And also, those that remain on the earth during that period of time have been raptured, and all of us have been quickly changed. And we studied all of that last week as well, okay? But when that rapture takes place, there will be people still on the earth, people that will be left behind. They'll still be here. Okay, And those people will, at that point, have begun to go through the great tribulation, that seven-year period of time. And that's what we're seeing, this transition here in the book of Revelation. It was all about the church. And last week I mentioned that the word church, ecclesia in the Greek, or churches, was mentioned 19 times in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Revelation. But as soon as you hit chapter 4, the word church... Or churches is not mentioned again until Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Why is that? Because the church is gone. The rapture has taken place. But there are people that are left behind. And at this point in Revelation, we go from, from talking about the church, chapters 1, 2, and 3, right? To talking about heaven in chapters 4 and 5, to talking about earth again in chapter 6 because in chapter 6 we're going to begin to study the great tribulation we're going to begin to see that seven year period of time okay so people have been left behind 
The church has been taken off the earth. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then us that remain will meet them in the air. All of us will be quickly changed. We'll have a whole new body. Everything will be new for us at that point. But the ones that overcome this world, again, will rule with Jesus over the nations. Okay? That, what nations? Well, the nations that still exist on the earth. All the people, all the nations, tribes and tongues, if you will, that are going through the tribulation. Right? So we've looked at the word reign and we've looked at the word rule. Now I want to show you the word judge. Because I said we're going to look at the word reign, rule, and judge. Turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And just to set the scene here, the Apostle Paul in this chapter is dealing with the Corinthians on a matter of sexual immorality. Okay, That's what's happening here. And I want you to read with me verses 2 and 3. Okay, He says to them, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest of matters? So you see what's taking place here? There was this issue of sexual immorality and, Paul, and they didn't deal with it. They didn't, kick, they didn't get rid of it out of the church. They just let it go on, right? And Paul's saying, come on, what's wrong with you people? Don't you know that saints will rule the world someday? And if you're going to rule the world someday, if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Can't you deal with this little thing? Don't you know who you are in Christ? Don't you know what you're going to be doing someday in the future? Verse 3, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? All right, you see what he's saying? Get a grip. You've got to deal with things. You've got to live this live right here you know live make make the right decisions right but there's that word judge and it's it's very emphatically stated here that saints believers who have overcome this world someday are going to judge this world the saints will have been taken into heaven and they will reign with Christ rule with Christ and judge the world okay the reason I'm taking you to these scriptures so you can see that scripturally all of this is founded it's all true is that that's what's going to happen. And as we turn back to Revelation chapter 4, in Revelation chapter 4, we see that these elders being spoken of again, they have thrones, right? And people with thrones are people that rule over others. That is why I say I lean uh, uh, toward these 24 elders somehow being representative of the church the body of Christ. And the reason I brought that up to you from First Chronicles is to say it's not really a far-fetched idea because David set up in First Chronicles a rotation of 24 priests that would serve in the house of God. Okay, So I don't get dogmatic about any of this and act as if we know it all. We, we know in part, but we dig into the Word of God and we try to do our best to allow the Word of God to interpret the Word of God. And that's why I'm taking you to these other scriptures that say we're going to reign, we're going to rule with Christ. 
could be that these elders are representative of the church because they're sitting on thrones around the throne of God. But we also see in verse 4 there that these elders around the throne of God, they are seated in positions where all of their attention is directed toward the throne of God. They're seated around the throne of God there, right? And we see too in verse 4 that they are dressed in white. And what does white represent in the Bible? White represents righteousness. And how have these elders been made righteous? How have any of us been made righteous? By the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there there are several scriptures that we can look at that tell us we have been made righteous only because of the fact that Jesus Christ shed His blood on our behalf. He and He alone was the propitiation for our sins. He was the one who stood in our place. Okay? He took the punishment that we so deserve. So these elders have thrones that they are sitting on and these thrones are around the throne of God and these elders are wearing white. And we also see there in verse 4 that they are wearing crowns of gold on their heads. What does the wearing of a crown represent? Well, crowns represent someone that is victorious. They also represent royalty, right? But represent a victorious one, okay? All right, someone that has been exalted to a high position wears a crown, okay? And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, that whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, today while we are on this earth, Jesus wants us to humble ourselves. And more plainly, he wants us to be dead to ourselves, to die to ourselves, okay? And to walk by faith in him, trusting in him, completely surrender to him. Let's turn for a moment to the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and uh, let's start reading down in verse 21. Actually, let's start reading in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. So you see, the focus for the disciple of Jesus Christ today Our focus is not to be primarily on the things of this world, the things of this earth. 
Our number one focus is to be on humbling ourselves, denying ourselves here on this earth, and being followers of Jesus Christ. Our focus is to store up treasure in heaven, not to store up treasure here on earth. And all that we have to do to understand how that we should live this life here on this earth is to study the life of Jesus Christ, is to look at Him and see that He was our example of how we are to live this life here on this earth. You see, we are not to be entrenched in this world, but again, we are to be overcomers of this world. In this world, as Jesus said, not of this world. People that endure, people that fight the fight of faith all the way till the end. That's what we must do to be an overcomer. And Jesus says there in verse 27 that in the end that he will reward each according to his works. So as we flip back to Revelation chapter 4, again, there is that time in the future when all the born-again followers of Jesus Christ will be off of the earth and in heaven. And we will have been rewarded according to our works, as Jesus said there in Matthew. And we will have been crowned at that point. And continuing on in our verses for this morning, John continues to describe what he sees. And here in verse 5 he says, And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now let me ask you something here this morning. What is it like when you're in the middle of a, a great storm, like a big thunderstorm? You know, the lightning is flashing across the sky and the thunder is, is, is roaring loud and strong. I don't know about you, but I get a sense of awe with that. You know, like, like, like this, this is just amazingly powerful. When all of that is going on, that thunder and that lightning and all of this is happening, right? It makes me feel so small. And as that, and as that thunderstorm intensifies, I begin to think like, well, maybe I should take cover. You know, there's so much power to this, right? And that's what John is describing here. The area of the throne is beautiful like we discussed last week. But it's also amazingly powerful, and it's a place of judgment as well. And then John points out the seven lamps of fire that he saw burning before the throne. And John says that those seven lamps of fire are the seven spirits of God. And as I've mentioned to you a few times in the past, there is a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation. We're, we're seeing that. And that symbolism is sometimes difficult for you and me to easily understand. But if we dig deeper into Scripture, we can at least to some degree figure out some of these things, can't we? Now, if you were here with us at the time, you may remember that when we studied chapter 1 of Revelation, that we looked at the fact that there is only one Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians told them in chapter 4 and verse 4 that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. So there is only one spirit of God. And back then I also had us dig deeper 
into this topic. And we looked at Isaiah chapter 11. We're not going to do that this morning. But we looked at Isaiah chapter 11 where uh, Isaiah prophesies of Jesus. But anyway, he says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And there in Isaiah chapter 11, the one Spirit of God is described with seven attributes, if you will. The seven attributes of that one Spirit of God are, first of all, they are the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Okay? And the number seven in Scripture always represents perfection or completeness, right? So the Holy Spirit is symbolically uh, represented here in these seven burning lamps. And we also know in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is represented in a couple other ways. A dove, right? Um, Acts chapter 2. He's also a flame of fire. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Okay? So there are other symbolic references to the Holy Spirit of His appearance. Right? And then as we move on in verse 6 here, it says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. Now, let's pause there. What does a sea of glass represent nowadays? If, for example, we were to look out upon this lake here, and as we looked out upon this lake, we could say, wow, the lake is like glass, right? What, have you ever heard that saying? What, what, is, what does that saying mean? It means that the lake is perfectly calm, perfectly still, no turbulence upon the water, right? See right now, uh, as the lake is rippling and moving from the wind, that would not be referred to as a lake of glass, okay? But if it were perfectly still, if there were no turbulence, and it were perfectly calm, they, we could say the lake is like glass, okay? So we're getting, what we're getting here is a wonderful picture of the throne of God in chapter 4. Again, we talked last week about how beautiful it is. We, we talked about the sardius and, and, and the jasper stone. And we talked about the beauty of it all. And we see the thunder and the lightning. We see the power of it all. But yet with its, all of its beauty, and yet with all of its power, it's peaceful and calm. Like a sea of glass. Okay? And then John continues in verse 6 here and says, And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. You know, it's amazing. When I think about this, I think that we have been so influenced today by movies, horror movies, and creepy looking things, and all of the stuff you see in movies, that when we read something like this, it's be like, oh, what, you know, what is that? You know? But remember, there's beauty here, but yet there's power here, and there's a peacefulness, and there's a calmness here, right? But he says, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. So first of all, one of the aspects of these four living creatures is that they have the ability to see everything from every angle. Nothing escapes their sight. And we'll see here in just a moment that they even have uh, eyes in their wings. 
Okay? But let's read on. Verse 7. The first living creature was like a lion. Now pause right there. Because what do we see when we consider the attributes, if you will, of a lion? What do, what do we picture, right? We see dominion. We see authority. We see royalty. And we also see a fierceness with a lion. There's all those things when you think of a lion, right? There's dominion, authority, royalty, and fierceness, right? The lion is the king of the beast and represents majesty and dominion and power. Now, the description of these four living creatures is also often equated with the four gospels in the New Testament. So you have these four living creatures. We have the four Gospels in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is represented as the King. Right? He is the Lion of Judah. He is the King of Kings. Okay? So we see here the Lion. Right? Then we see the second living creature like a calf. Now that word translated calf there can also be translated as a bullock or a heifer. Okay? And in the Old Testament times, this of course was an animal that was used for what? What did they use this calf for? Sacrifice. It was a sacrificial, right? Calf or lamb, whatever, right? And Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is portrayed as the sacrifice for our sins. Mark in his Gospel represents Christ as the servant who was sacrificed. For us. Verse 7 continues, the third living creature had a face like a man. Now again, in heaven, around the throne of God, we're, we are seeing the picture of perfection. We are seeing a picture of completeness. And who was the perfect man? Jesus was the perfect man. And the gospel of Luke shows Jesus as that perfect man. So, look, there's a lot of depth to the Word of God and especially to the book of Revelation. And we could spend a month of Sundays on every single verse of Revelation. And as I have sat down to prepare these studies, it's like, do I go this way? Do I go this way? Do I go this way? And then I just say, Lord, lead me. Where do you want me to go with these teachings? Where, how do you want me to do this, right? So I cannot stand before you and, and give you the complete picture of all that this book, the book of Revelation, has to offer us. We just know that we're promised a blessing when we read this book. We studied that in chapter 1. But there's so much to dive into, though. And again, I, I really encourage you to take time to go deeper into this book you know, more time than what we do here on Sunday mornings, right? For example, you can go back into the book of Ezekiel chapter 1 and you can do pretty much a complete parallel study to Revelation chapter 4 here. Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel gives a description of heaven as well in Ezekiel chapter 1. And I'm not even taking you there this morning for all the meat found in the book of Ezekiel. But what I am doing with you here this morning is matching up what we are seeing here in the four living creatures and what we see of Jesus in the four Gospels. In Matthew, again, he is the king. 
is King of Kings. In Mark, he is the suffering servant. In Luke, he is the perfect man. And then verse 7 here we see also, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The eagle symbolizes sovereignty and supremacy. Flies above all else, right? Above all else. So, So this fourth living creature can be equated to Christ in all of his deity. He is supreme. He is um, all-powerful. He is sovereign, right? So again, in our study here this morning, we equate these four living creatures. And an eagle we see as the supreme God. And the gospel of John shows us that Jesus Christ is God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay. Then we move on into verse 8. The four living creatures, each having six, six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. These four living creatures do not cease to proclaim the holiness of our God and Savior. Day and night, They proclaim that He is holy. The throne of God, like I said, it's beautiful. We've seen that. It's powerful. It's peaceful. But around the throne of God, only holiness dwells. The living creatures seem to protect this holiness. And let me take you for a moment to Revelation chapter 21. We'll steal from a future study that we may get to in six months or so. Revelation chapter 21. Here in Revelation chapter 21, our eternal dwelling place is being described. Where we will be someday. And looking down at verse 27, so Revelation 21, 27, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So heaven is all about holiness. And these four living creatures are protecting that holiness, right? The unrighteous, nothing unrighteous will enter heaven. No abomination, no lie. There will be nothing that defiles there. And back in Revelation chapter 4, we're seeing all of this beauty, all of this power, all of the holiness. And the four living creatures that represent all that Christ is and all that He has done, they're protecting the throne of God. Right? Heaven is a wonderful place of beauty, strength, and majesty. And it's a place of worship. And verse 9 in Revelation 4 says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist 
and were created. So at some point in time in our eternal future, we will see this place that the Apostle John is describing to us here. I personally believe that the 24 elders do represent the church, the body of believers that have overcome this world and have been raptured into heaven. You see, the day will come when every knee will bow in worship of the Lord and every tongue will confess that He is Lord of all. He is the one who, as verse 8 back there says, is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And if and if these 24 elders do indeed represent the church, then we who endure in this life as followers of Christ, we who overcome all the way till the end, then we will be the ones casting our crowns that He has purchased for us by His blood. And we will cast them before His throne, indicating that we are not worthy and that He is worthy. Worthy to receive glory and honor and power for he created all things and by his will all things exist and were created and this worship of him will be an unending thing and here the the beautiful fact for you and me today though is that we can live a life of worship now we can lift our voices in praise to Him on this side of heaven. Today we can proclaim by the way that we live this life here and now that we are just unworthy servants and all glory, honor, and power belong to Him. We can worship Him today in spirit and truth as Jesus says that we should do. And before we close this morning, I want to just briefly touch on those three words there in verse 11. The words glory, honor, and power. How can we apply them to our lives today? That we say all glory, honor, and power belong to Jesus. How is that exemplified in our life? Well, glory is like my entire life devoted to glorifying Him. All glory is His. So everything about my life needs to be devoted to glorifying Him the way I live today. Honor, the word honor, a desire to magnify the Lord in all of my ways. That's what we are to have, a desire to honor Him and magnify Him in the way that we live our lives. Power, how can we equate that word? Well, I want Jesus to have power over my life. All power is His. I want to be absolutely and completely surrendered to His will for my life. Again, what I'm showing you here is, yes, we're looking at the future. We're looking at heaven. We're looking at things eternal. But we can live today in a way that gives the Lord glory. That all power is His and all honor is His. And we must be people of worship now because it's only those that overcome. It's only those that remain in the faith till the end. Only those that, that stay the course that will someday wear white. Remember, we talked about all the churches and the last one we ended up on, of course, was the Laodicean church. And what happens to the Laodicean church? That lukewarm church. That church that really don't live for the Lord. They're spewed out of his mouth, right? So we must be a people of worship. We must stay the course. What we're, we're looking at the majesty, the beauty, the power, the splendor, the peacefulness, the calmness of heaven. We're looking at where we're going. 
But it should cause us now to say, how should I live now? How am I living now? Is it for the glory of the Lord? And is my life living to give Him honor? Let's pray.